We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Did you finish Did you that? that? We're, about one half, we're about halfway there. We're just saying that he's off to a nice start. Why does it have to be all or nothing all the time? Like, what am I doing? I'm doing it for the show. Field of 68 till I die. This is the Field of 68 After Dark Show, the only place that you need to be for college hoops every single night. At the Field of 68 After Dark, it just means more. And we're going to talk SEC basketball all night, ladies and gentlemen. We had an incredible slate of conference play Battles get underway tonight in the Southeastern Conference. We had some games outside of that as well. Yes, we're looking at you, number two in the country, the Yukon Huskies, Rob Doster's own. We'll get to that as well. Xavier St. John's is wrapping up right now. Arkansas and LSU are coming down to the wire, and we're here to break every single one of these games down. My name is Greg Waddell. We've got Matt McCall. We've got Jim Root. As always, we are brought to you by Bet Rivers. You can find us on the SiriusXM app. If you're watching us on the YouTube channel, Field of 68, we appreciate you. Jump in the comment section. Click subscribe for us while you're there. We'll be paying attention to that all night. But first, gentlemen, we must start with our toasts of the night. Uh, and given the biggest result of tonight, Missouri just dominating Kentucky from start to finish. Jim, where'd you go to school? Just out of curiosity, I, c- uh, I can't tell. Like, our, like is, M-I-Z, is it? Okay, okay. Right. Last it's year just, was a bit on our check. show that I would flip the flag upside down when I was frustrated. The flag is all right side up this year. That's it. Okay, okay. <laughs> I mean, it's only right, Jim, that you take it away to start. Give us your toast of the evening. Yeah, toast is it's to the entire Tiger squad. Uh, it's to Dennis Gates. It's to Kobe Brown. Uh, it's to everybody up and down that roster, all the way down to ben, Benny Sternberg, the walk-on. Uh, they have re-energized the Tiger fan base, as seen by the environment tonight, the environment at Kansas or hosting Kansas, environment uh, against Illinois in St. Louis. Maybe there was something to that schedule, Mr. Goodman, to play it, play a little soft early, get the energy going, get the confidence going with a group that turned over like 11 of the 13 scholarship players. I think that uh, there was a method to the madness and clearly it's starting to show through right now. Uh, yeah. It, it's just a toast to the tigers. I'm amped. I'm excited as a, as an alum cheers to Mizzou. Cheers. I'll drink to that. Congrats, my friend. Oh, I appreciate it. Mr. McCall, who you got? Man, as I'm watching this LSU Arkansas game come down to the wire. Um, Arkansas is down one with a minute and 15 seconds left. LSU has the ball. I want to toast. 
just the SEC home court environments. You watch the Auburn game. You see this game going on right now. LSU just scored to go up three. The environment at Missouri. I mean, I I was an assistant coach at Florida when Flip Pressy was there, and I, I always said like playing at Missouri was one of the most challenging environments in the SEC. So I'm going to toast to the SEC home court environments today. I think the fans have showed out and uh, tribute to them. It just means more, ladies and gentlemen. It's not just a football conference. Let's say that. Apparently not. Apparently not. Uh, we've had some wild bowl games as well. Quick field of 12 plug. You'll hear us break that down tomorrow <laughs> evening on the football side of this business. Uh, I am going to go over to the West Coast. I'm going to go to a guest that we had on just a couple weeks ago. And uh, we we got to ask him about their hot start. And I think everybody who was on the panel, I forget who was there with me, but I, I think all of us were kind of in the back of our minds, just like, oh, this is a nice, cute little story that we're probably not going to talk too much more about the rest of the season. That's Richie Patino's New Mexico Lobos. I mean, these these guys are en route to 13-0, a 20-point victory tonight. There's 20 seconds left in the game. But, I mean, they've essentially dominated Colorado State. I think they were six-and-a-half-point favorites pregame. This team is for real. He's got that place jumping, and I give him credit for it because I'm finding it really hard not to root for Richard Patino, which as a Big Ten guy, something I never thought I would say. But I absolutely love it. Cheers <laughs> to awesome. you, Richie P. Cheers. All right, let's jump right in. We're going to go to Jim's dream of a result tonight. Missouri, uh, I, really, I think the only word for it is is dominates Kentucky. And I promise you, we're not only going to look at this from a Kentucky lens, but I do think that's where we should start because the conversation about Kentucky for the last two weeks, maybe more, has been, man, can Cal figure this team out? What are we doing offensively? Is there a plan? How do you mold an offensive scheme around Severe Wheeler and Oscar Shibway with some guys who aren't the best shooters around them and how do you put it all together and win games? They have not been successful in their highest profile games this season. Case in point tonight. Uh, and I got to tell you, it was ugly at times from Kentucky. A lot of just clanking jumpers. A lot of trying to play the offensive rebound game with Big O, which is a thing. I get it. But, man, all of the critics of that offense can come out loud tonight and feel like they are correct. So, uh, Matt, let's go to you first here on the Kentucky side of this. How surprised were you with Kentucky's offensive struggles tonight? I'm, I know we got to go into the Kentucky side, and I'm going to do that here in a second. But, I, I, like, we have to start by giving Missouri credit. Dennis Gates, you know, they, they show up versus Kansas. They don't play well. They get blown out. Everyone was killing them on their schedule. And then all of a sudden they beat – UCF on a buzzer beater, then they blow out Illinois and Kentucky. Like, what a response, right? Like, even tonight, like, look, they have a big lead. Now, all of a sudden, you think, like, Kentucky, here comes their athleticism. You know, they're going to get back into this, and then they start changing defenses. Missouri's going zone. So, just, like, first of all, and, and I'll talk about Kentucky, but, man, credit Dennis Gates, credit his staff, because the response they had had after the Kansas game Man, that's that that's impressive to keep your locker room together, 
to keep everyone bought in when everyone's like, see, I told you so. I told you they're not that good. They didn't play anybody. I told you, I told you. And all of a sudden they've got back-to-back wins over (laughs) Illinois and Kentucky. Like just, just credit their staff. So um, I've talked about this on the field of 68 before in terms of Kentucky, like what's their identity on offense. And you see what they're doing with Oscar Chigo. It's like, he's getting pushed out of the lane. Like there was a possession in the first half where, near the SEC logo, which is just below the free throw line, Oscar Chike was in there, and so was Jacob Topping. So, like, where is the spacing on offense? Like, there's no spacing for anyone to operate. Like, can they run some sneak plays? Can they run some screening action? Like, we're talking about Oscar Chike. Like, he's the reigning player of the year. Like, how can you get him the ball? Are you going to get him the ball on rolls off pick and rolls? Are you going to get him the ball off screening action? Can you run some high-low stuff? But this it starts with the spacing. So it's like, I think Kentucky has to figure it out. Like, all right, we're going to just slow this thing down. Like, in the first half, they're coming down. They're, they're trying to, you know, have their defense create offense for them. And also, they just keep bombing up threes. They just keep bombing them. And it's like, guys, you're on the fast break. Try to find a way to get some layups or even get yourself to the foul line. Like, at one point in time, you're one for 11 from the three-point line. So, how can we get to the free throw line? How can we get layups in transition? Like, stop shooting threes. But I think more or less, like, what's our identity? Should we slow it down? Should we try to win games in the 50s? Or should we just play completely chaotic and try to turn teams over and get more easy baskets in transition. I, I think they have it, but like for having the reigning player of the year, like how does he only have one field goal attempt in the first half? Like, how, like I, I don't, I don't understand that. Like there's actions you can run. You can run screening actions to get him the ball in the block. You can get him off rolls, off spread, pick and rolls, throwback, go inside. And, you know, it's, it's hard for me to critique, you know, coach Calipari who's in the Naismith Hall of Fame, but I just think, you know, offensively, they have to have a level of identity because when the ball does go inside and he's getting double teamed and he's throwing it out and all of a sudden you're one for 11. For the, like, I, I thought another play in the game that was kind of a microcosm of their offense was early on in the second half, you know, Jacob Toppin, he shot a three. It never even came close to the rim. So it's, you know, it's what are we doing? Who's in the game? What are we running on offense? And how do we get one of the best players in college basketball the ball in areas where he can be successful. Yeah. He seems to uh, really be tied down to the combo of where and top in at the four right now, those guys combined for 43 minutes tonight. Uh, The shooters off the bench, theoretically in theory, Reeves and Frederick 18 minutes combined tonight. Like you're just not getting a lot from them. So Jim throwing it to you and we're going to get to Mizzou. I promise you that. (laughs) Uh, throwing it to you though, do you, do you think this is more like a Calipari issue right now? Like, is he making mistakes handling this team or is this more of a roster build issue? It feels a little more build to me, um, because they have certain guys that can't shoot and certain guys that really, this is, you know, boiling down Reeves and Frederick a little too much, but they're just, they're shooters. They're not like dynamic playmakers. They want to catch the ball and shoot. And they tried some lineups early where Frederick and Reeves were spaced on the wings and then they had three other non-shooters and that sort of opened it up. But then Frederick broke his finger or whatever happened to him. And, and he wasn't able to come back. It just doesn't feel like they have the right blend of score shooters, role players. Like they don't fit into the slots the way you'd want them to. And to Matt's point, the one shot 
uh, for Sheboy in the first half. It, it like Mizzou wanted them to take perimeter shots. They're teasing them into doing it. And it feels like this team is too easy to just take the low hanging fruit of, all right, this shot's open 15 seconds in the shot clock. We don't need to work for a better one. Let's, let's just put this up and maybe Oscar will go get it on, on the glass. The, the touches for him need to be more focused and intentional rather than happenstance by offensive rebound, that kind of thing. And we'll see if they're able to add that. Uh, I would have thought Calipari would have their attention and focus on it more before this game, but national TV 20 point blowout loss is going to have their attention. That's for sure. Yeah. Greg, like, like to his point, like what's their best offense right now? Chuck it and let Oscar go get it off the backboard and put it back in. Right. Like, I mean, that's, that's ultimately right now what's, been the most successful it's how do you you know do misdirections and get him the ball on the block the screening action like he's such a talented you know post player like I mean like look at Zach Eady at Purdue like Purdue runs stuff to get him the ball in spaces for him to be really successful and it's misdirections and it's cutters and all of a sudden the ball's dumped in the post and just different things to get him the ball down there in areas for him to be successful. So I think they have to start there. Like we've got arguably the best player in the country and he's rebounding, rebounding at such a ridiculous rate. How can we get him the ball down there on the block after the defense has moved where he can operate and go get a basket, right? You can't just come down the floor, run one down screen and dump it into him. The defense has to move before you can get the ball to him so he can be successful. So I just think they've, they've got to start there. Yeah. I'm sure there were a lot of NIL related promises made to players who have returned for an extra year when maybe they could have pursued other options. Maybe Cal's big promise to, to Oscar was just, Hey, you come back. We'll surround you with guys who will put bricks up and you can go set some rebounding numbers. Doesn't that sound <laughs> lovely? Cause there's certainly plenty of them on this team right now. Like uh, right, there was, there was a, and not to catch up, there was a possession in the first half where they got a steal and they're on the fast break. And I think it was like a three and one, like a three on one situation. And they're one for 10 or one for nine at this point from the three point line. And they shoot a three on the break. It's like, guys go in there, get a dunk, get a layup or get yourself to the foul line. And I think that's just kind of a microcosm of their offense right now. They've got to create some type of identity. Yeah, 100%. I also think uh, just from a, a guard standpoint, they're missing the NBA guys they normally have. And that sounds very obvious to say. I love Cason Wallace. I, I just love his game. I think he's an absolute defensive pest. Uh, to shoot it as well as he has this year is incredibly impressive for me. To me, the the only thing they could try is just moving a lot more usage his way. He shot the ball a ton tonight. He was five for 13 from three tonight. And obviously that didn't translate to the score sheet from a, a win-loss standpoint. But um, to me, they've got to try to lean on their NBA guards the way they have in the past. And Wallace is really the only one they have this year. Uh, so let's flip this to the Missouri side. Obviously, Jim, you've watched this team your entire life, but particularly in the last four years. This team is a totally different team, but where the program is right now this year is just in a totally different stratosphere from the Missouri that I've seen in the better part of the last five years. Uh, what do you think the biggest thing is? Obviously, there's a lot of new faces. There's a new head coach, but but what has made this team so successful so quickly this season? It feels like they play with a joy now, and part of that is the style. They have the freedom to run and pressure and 
some of the shots they take early in the shot clock, maybe you're like, ooh, I don't know. But, like, Demoy Hodge has the quickest trigger, and he's allowed to, and he hits some big ones that way. Like Matt mentioned, Kentucky taking a transition three. Well, they were going down for Missouri, and, and Hodge took one in the second half after Kentucky had cut it to nine, and they got a steal, and Hodge pulled up from three and just buried it. And th- there is just, like, that energy and, and cohesion and chemistry, which I think is really hard to build considering all the turnover that roster had. Uh, I, I we didn't really get to drill into it with with Kobe Brown in our interview, um, but uh, we didn't. Uh, I, I was surprised to see how quickly that came for them, especially after the loss that they had to Kansas. That's the type of thing that could have pulled apart the team. But man, they they rally together. They kind of have the we're in our own foxhole thing, and they've got a lot of guys that just are out there willing to defend and do the dirty work that Ronnie DeGray is the Trago millions and it features everybody else. And it makes Kobe Brown look good. And it is, it is a connected team right now that could do some, some big things. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah, you alluded to a great tease uh, for an interview that we had with Kobe Brown, which we will get to in just a moment. Uh, But Matt, a a lot of people doubted this Missouri team, to say the least. A lot of people on this very uh, program right here at the Field of 68 have come on here and sort of shrugged them off. I think even given the Illinois result recently, given all the turmoil in the Illinois locker room right now and guys going on the podium and sort of crapping on each other. I think it was really easy to just say, Oh, that was more about Illinois than it was about Missouri. Clearly after tonight, maybe we're wrong about that. Maybe this Missouri team has a little more than we thought. Right. I I mean, again, like I said earlier, like credit the coaching staff to keep the team together and block all that noise out. Like as soon as they lost to Kansas, got blown out at home. Everyone's like, Like I said, see, told you so. They're not that good. They shouldn't be ranked in the top 25. And they just stayed focused and they kept everyone together. And to be able to go out and play outside of a little run by Kentucky, the game really wasn't even close, right? And everyone seems to be buying into their roles, which to me is the most impressive thing about this team. And I know we're going to get into the interview here in a second with, with Kobe, but man, for him to stick it out, after a coaching change, like that doesn't happen very often. And here's a guy that could have probably gone anywhere in the country that he wanted to go to. And he stayed. And the success that he's having now, again, that's a tribute to him. And that's also a tribute to that coaching staff for building a relationship with him in a very short amount of time. Like that's not an easy thing to do. And 
to see them have the success, block out the distractions, stay focused, and go out and play the last two games at the way that they've had, man, it's it's impressive. Yeah, the player of the night was Kobe Brown, 30 points, six rebounds, two assists tonight, 10 for 18 from the floor, and the three of us got a chance to sit down with him after Missouri's big win against Kentucky. on the field of 68 after dark with Missouri star Kobe Brown coming off a massive win at home tonight against the Kentucky Wildcats. First of all, Kobe, congratulations. Uh, it's got to feel good. I want to just read your numbers off for you. I'm sure you already know them, but 30 points, six rebounds, two assists, two steals. That's got to feel great, first of all. But I want to ask you, against a team like Kentucky, does that mean a little more to go out there and have some success against that brand name type team? Uh, definitely. You know, <clears throat> Kentucky's a really good team. They got really good players year in and year out. Uh, they're always really good as a team. So, you know, being able to, you know, perform like that against a team like that uh, and come out with a win, overall team win is, is, is great. Kobe, you guys talk just about the response. You struggled at home versus Kansas and you come back, you beat UCF. And then you take it to Illinois and Kentucky, just like the resilience of the team and the response that you guys stuck together and have able to be able to play as well as you had the last two games. Oh, definitely. You know, taking a loss like we did to Kansas, we we try to um, every loss we take, we try to uh, we try to like you know take a get a lesson from it. Um, we want to learn from it rather than just you know move on to the next game. So you know, every loss you need you should grow from. Um, every loss is really a win at the end of the day. So, you know, just having that, having a maturity level of on this team to, you know, take a hit and keep going and fight back and fix what we did wrong is is great. Big time. Kobe, I'm a, I'm a Mizzou grad, as you can probably tell by the flag behind me, the shirt I'm wearing right now. Uh, it, was, it was awesome to see Mizzou Arena popping like it was. You guys delivered on it. Uh, I go back, to, I graduated in 2012, but I remember 2009, we had some environments against Kansas, that kind of yeah. thing. What, what was it like today compared to some of your environments earlier in your career, like seeing it just that packed house against Kentucky? Oh, it was, it was big. It was huge. Uh, you know, the first couple of years, we had some decent crowds here and there, uh, but, you know, nothing compared to this year. You know, obviously the Kansas game, you know, how, you know, how that gets. And then having a game like this against Kentucky, the first SEC conference game, having a crowd like that, it means a lot. It means we mean a lot to the fans here. And I'm glad to see them back in the stands. And hopefully they continue to come because we need them. So you just alluded to it a little bit, the I guess the the transition, the different faces that you've seen of this program in the last four years. And I got to ask you, given the era of college basketball that we're now in, guys transfer left and right, you're a four-year guy at Mizzou. You've played through a coaching change. You've seen lack of success, now turned success with a lot of new faces involved. What made you stay instead of exploring other options at this program? You know, outside of, I would say outside of, you know, Coach Gates being a great guy that he is um, and, you know, talking to him, building a relation with him uh, in those, that, that short period of time, just the community and the, the fans here, you know, uh, I love like, it's, it's just, it's just a great place to be. It's a great place to be Columbia, Missouri, um, you know, just being around, like even in the community, go to the grocery store, you know, talking to people, meeting, meet, meeting different people that do this, may own a business, may, you know, the kids go here and there. I did this, seen the kids. So it's just a real, it's like one big family and it's, it's a good place to be. Kobe, I, this is not a question, man. I, I, that's a credit to you because in today's day and age in college basketball, and I'll pass it to Jim for another question if he has it, man, but I tip my hat to you because 
everyone would would leave in your situation. You stuck it out. You've built a relationship with Coach Gates and the entire staff, the players there. You've welcomed them in. So I just tip my hat to you, man. Credit to you. Thank you. Thank you. I'll, I'll get one more question in then. Um, there's been some criticism, including from the field of 68's Jeff Goodman, of the schedule, <laughs> of Mizzou's schedule early on and, and how it's set up playing um, a lot of bye games early. But do you feel like this, this season goes the same way if you play Illinois the first week or, or somebody the test right away? Because you had so much turnover. It seems like that schedule helped you guys get to where you are and, and prepared you for these tests. Almost definitely. You know, every every team we play, you know, we, we don't take for granted. Uh, we try to come out and do what, we, do what we're supposed to do. You know, every like all those games we had in the beginning, they were definitely a learning standpoint. Uh, we just have we won all of them. But, you know, even if, like I said, if we were to lose any of them, that would, we would learn from that, too. So, yeah, you kind of have to have those games to where you can, you know, it's the first time we're really playing together as a team against another team. So it just it definitely is a big building block for us. All right, I'll I'll leave you with a fun one, Kobe. Again, congratulations right. on such a big performance. It's Christmas break. You alluded to what was special about this campus, this place. You go grocery shopping, right? Where do you go to celebrate a win like this over Kentucky in Columbia, oh, Missouri tonight? It's when, is it Wednesday? Any pitchers, right? Uh, shoot. <laughs> uh, look, you know, we're probably just going to you know meet up as a uh, as a team. And, you know, probably just kick it, probably listen to music, watch if, if there's any games on the night, we'll probably watch the game or something, but nothing too special. Yeah, That's, that's the right answer. They're locked in. <laughs> yeah. Jim, Jim could not be happier with how this interview has gone. And we'll get the, the answer on where Jim will go for beverages shortly after this. <laughs> right. Kobe, thank you so much, my friend. Congratulations. And uh, I wish you continued success throughout the remainder of the season. Thank you. Thank you. Keep it up, Kobe. M-I-Z. M-I-Z-Z-O-U. <laughs> That was us and Missouri star Kobe Brown, uh, who is the player of the night tonight in their big win over Kentucky uh, to put a bow on this Kentucky, Missouri segment for us. Jim, I've got a very simple question for you, my friend. A very, very simple question. You're a betting man like myself. If I gave you, let's say, $25 to go over to our friends at Bet Rivers right now, and if I could give you a special <laughs> prop built just for you, with even odds either way, which team goes farther in the NCAA tournament this year, Missouri or Kentucky? Who are you betting on? And that's that's tough. I'd probably still bet on Kentucky. I know that's crazy, but uh, I love Mizzou. I I think they're really uh, in we much can't tell. Shape. We really can't tell. We can't we <laughs> right, cannot right, right. tell at all. <laughs> uh, Mizzou's in better shape right now. They know who they are. They're they're more figured out, but. A lot of that Kentucky roster was a two seed last year. I know they lost. Arguably, still probably have the higher ceiling. Um, if I'm if I'm a betting man, but if I'm betting with my heart, Greg, you know it's the Tigers. You know it's the Tigers. Well, I mean, you host a, a very good betting show, I must say. Best bets on the field of sixty eight. Do you tell people to bet with their heart, Jim? Is that something you would recommend or no? I do not. No, no. It's <laughs> bet the numbers, baby. Bet the number. <laughs> okay. All right. Understood. Uh, Matt, you you were talking with us before the show started, and uh, you know we got a little bit spicy on how much we would be willing to condemn this Kentucky team. Do you think they're an NCAA tournament team right now? I think they got a lot of work to do. You know, the one thing about Coach Calipari's teams is is they always seem to find a way to win games in late January and early February. But I think as of right now, they're on the outside looking in. I mean, their best win is Michigan over in London. 
I, I think they've got some work to do. They've got to find a way to win some of these games. I think the other thing, too, is, is it's hard to win on the road in any conference. And you see these environments, like we talked about earlier in the SEC, to win on the road in the SEC is extremely difficult. So Kentucky's got to find a way to win some of these games, in my opinion. You know, can they knock off a Tennessee at home in front of 30,000 people in Rupp Arena? Can they knock off, you know, an Alabama at home to to get some more quality wins? But right now, hmm, I, I think they're on the outside looking in. I think that's fair. Which is crazy to say at this Which point. Crazy. And BBN's not going to be happy with that. Trust me. <laughs> I know how passionate BBN and Jeff Goodman knows, especially. But man, they, they they've got to win some of these games. They've got to find a way to get, you know, 10, 12 wins in the SEC, because I just don't think that they had the wins in the non-conference that guarantee them an at-large bid. I'll be very surprised if we crack the top 100 things for BBN to be upset about right now, but we'll see. We'll see. Uh, There's certainly plenty to choose from. You alluded to it, Matt. You said how hard it is to win on the road uh, in conference play in general, but how about particularly in the SEC where tonight we had Arkansas, one of the best teams in the country. I think that's fair to say. You guys can tell me if I'm wrong, go on the road to play LSU and suffer a loss, their first loss in conference play. LSU just wrapped up a three-point victory, 60-57 to tonight. Uh, Jim, let's go to you first here because I'm getting flashbacks here. I'm getting two weeks ago, everything we said about Missouri, oh, they haven't played anyone. <laughs> that applies to LSU too, right? Who now sits at 12-1 and with a very impressive win over Arkansas. Yeah, that's the exact point narrative I was going to make. They're like two wins behind Mizzou right now doing the exact same thing, playing a, a week non-con, but ramping up a team that, I mean, when, there was a point where uh, McMahon had taken over and they, I think had one guy on the roster, like everyone was in the portal or they hadn't gotten anybody out of it. So clearly they had some time to, or needed some time to come together as a team. And I'll be honest, like you mentioned betting man, uh, I was some of the, the big spread favorites where they were supposed to blow teams out at home. I, I wasn't buying it. I was betting the other side and was starting to think maybe LSU was fraud. is a mean word. I don't want to go that far, but you know, not quite the 11 and one that they were, but man, did they validate it tonight? Uh, Arkansas put a run on them in the second half. Uh, Coach McMahon made a big time adjustment going zone. They were as, as they were so, prone to letting guys shoot they were straight up walking away from guys at some points on the perimeter and that's what it took um they, they the athleticism of arkansas's drivers was giving them a little bit of a problem so they let them shoot from the perimeter and uh, they scraped together enough buckets in front of that home crowd that we mentioned and, and got a huge huge win when they haven't played that many big games the ones they've played matter more and this one now sits right atop their resume and kind of validates them uh, i was i was really impressed with the tigers tonight Four for 25 from three for Arkansas, just to throw that out there uh, to your point about the adjustment moving to zone and how that worked out for them. Uh, Matt, obviously no Nick Smith right now for Arkansas. We don't know if or when we're going to see Nick Smith again. I think uh, some some injury management going on with that right now. Who knows what that will look like down the line. Uh, but there's still plenty of talent on this Arkansas team. Uh, a very impressive win, right, for LSU. You have to be impressed with this result. Oh, and and I know off the air, you think I'm going to give this guy credit because we have similar, you know, names, Matt McMahon, Matt McCall. But oh, yeah. where, like, where did most people pick LSU to start the season? 
if not last, second to last because of what he walked into because of all the players that were in the portal. He had one guy on scholarship at one point in time. And now all of a sudden he's got his team at 12 and one. And you're so critical of scheduling. But I think when you're trying to piece it all together and you're trying to give your team confidence, I think that's what he's been able to do is give his team confidence. I think Missouri did the exact same thing. They won some games, they built some momentum, and now their team is a confident basketball team that they can go beat a top 10 team at home. Obviously, like you mentioned, four for 25 for three from Arkansas. You kind of live by the three, you die by the three. You shoot those kind of numbers on the road. It's going to be very difficult to win. Um, Hopefully, Nick Smith gets back out there because I do think Arkansas, if he's in the lineup, is a Final Four caliber team. So you want to see him back out there. But, man, credit Mac, man, credit his staff. His team has confidence. They're playing with confidence. And they got a heck of a win at home today. Yeah, I got to give credit to RC Randolph Childress, who uh, actually was on a show that we recorded earlier this week that is going to air tomorrow night. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that or not, but just for the record, it was pre-recorded if you're watching tomorrow on the Field of 68 After Dark. Uh, it was our resolution show. And when we got to talking about Arkansas, uh, we mentioned how good Ricky Council has been so far this season. And RC kind of gave us the, the classic RC shrug that was like, yeah, you hope that continues, don't you? Well, tonight kind of came back to earth a little bit. Five for 19 from the floor. Uh, to me, he has been Arkansas's best player this season. They've had injuries all over the place. Obviously, the Brazil injury really hangs over that team going forward. Uh, but, you know, if Council is going to be that guy, I think you are prone to having a couple nights like this here and there, uh, especially against a team like a Matt McMahon team who can adjust on the fly, throw different defenses at you. And that really worked out for them. So let's let's continue our SEC roundtable right now, because as we mentioned at the top of the show, there were SEC results all over tonight. Uh, let's move to Alabama, who did go on the road tonight to Mississippi State and come away with a double-digit point victory that in the second half honestly just felt like the better team took control and never really relinquished it in that game. Matt, what did you see from the Crimson Tide tonight? Yeah, I just felt like it was just kind of business as usual, right? Again, in another the, the Hump is a very difficult place to play in the SEC. When they get fans at Mississippi State, first of all, Starkville, Mississippi, for any Mississippi State fan, I'm not trying to kill the place, but that is a – challenging place to go play it's in the middle of nowhere i don't i don't I, w I was there what eight years ago i think it was so maybe they have better hotels in starkville mississippi but you used to have to cater food in from an outside place because the, the you couldn't stay at a full service marriott in starkville mississippi so it always made it even more challenging especially as a as an ops guy which i was for for two years at the university of florida trying to find out where we're going to eat in starkville how are we going to get food in pre-game meal what are we doing um but i just felt like for alabama it was just they took care of business that's why they're one of the better teams in the country uh they just went in there they they executed offense they, they you know they weren't perfect at times but you know they made 12 threes they scored 78 points in the game and they, they just took care of business and that's you know, to win a championship, to win an SEC championship, any league championship, you got to find ways to win. You got to especially find ways to win on the road. And they went into a difficult environment and found a way to do it. And I just felt like in watching them play tonight, it was just kind of business as usual. Yeah, flip side, Mississippi State here. Uh, I feel like we're we're going 
through all three of these games so far, we're, we're talking kind of the national contender. And then we're talking, is this team a total fraud or are they for real? How do we look at them? Is It's fair to do, right? It's fair to look at Mississippi State and be like, is this team ever going to come back to the top 25 after this? What do you think, Jim? I think they might. I mean, some of the, you know, they didn't play a, a gauntlet in the non-conference, but like that Marquette win is going to age really, really well, holding them to 55 points. That's a fantastic offense that the Golden Eagles have put together. It, but it was surprising tonight to see Alabama score 78. As Matt mentioned, no one had hit 70 yet against Mississippi State this year. Only one team had hit 60. Like th- that is really mm-hmm. impressive uh, for them to uh, actually be able to put up that that many points. I think for me, this is about Alabama's defense. And last year it had a little bit of a drop off with no Herb Jones. And I thought maybe, okay, he was kind of a unicorn one in a million type of defender that mutated this Nate Oates system into a great defensive team, but he's come back this year with so much size in the inside. I wondered if Betty Aka would fit his system. And now he's like the crux of this awesome defense, Noah Clowney, Nick Pringle, those guys have helped out inside as well. Tolu Smith really struggled inside to, to get buckets against them. And, a lot of teams have. So I, I've been super impressed with Alabama. I know Gonzaga put up a hundred on them and, and that maybe uh knocked their defensive numbers a little bit, but I think Alabama's a legit title contender. And and that's why I'm not really going to knock Mississippi state too much because I, I think their defense is for real. And while they may struggle to score a lot. And I think we, we had that discussion that it's a lot of the sec offenses are maybe are going to have droughts <laughs> this year. Uh, but that's because the defenses are good. And I think Mississippi state's one of those elite defenses and they'll, they'll probably find their way back into the top 25 at some point. When you say title contender, sec title, national title, both. Am I stepping on toes of a a later discussion here? I I think Alabama is the best team in the league and a national title contender. I know that's probably shade at Tennessee, uh, and, and they're quite good themselves, but I'm very sold on Alabama. Two losses are. UConn and Gonzaga, I'll, I'll I'll give them a pass for a couple of those. None of those are embarrassing. I think they've got it all with scoring, multiple ball handlers, huge defenders inside. They've managed a lot of lineup in and outs, like Quinterly coming back from the knee, Burnett getting hurt, Darius Miles has been in and out, uh, Dom Welch debuted today. Like they've had a lot of different things going on with the rotation and have just stayed super solid the whole way through. I'm I'm buying Crimson Tide for sure. I mean, how about Brandon Miller, first SEC game? on the road goes for 19 and 11 like that 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 as a freshman in that league on the road at mississippi state he goes 19 11 like what like what a debut for him and i know he's averaging 19 points a game and almost 10 rebounds but that that to me he has just been so impressive and you know i i agree with jim i i think they are a title contender i i think saying title contender is you know, I, I think to throw that term out, I, I like to throw out final four contender more than that, because I think once you get to the NCAA tournament, you got to get a little bit lucky because not always the best team wins, but they are, they will be in the conversation, no question, and and be in the conversation for an SEC championship. Yeah, I on the, the topic of Brandon Miller, while uh, our interview with Kobe Brown was playing, I think I said to you guys, uh, oh, Brandon Miller didn't do a ton tonight, did he? And then I checked the box score. Oh, he just was five for 10 from three, 1911. Sure. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's how good the dude is. Like there are, there, there isn't another Brandon Miller, but as far as like the caliber of that guy, you can count them on one hand, how many there are in college basketball this season. Uh, and I certainly think looking across the rest of this conference, 
what might separate Alabama as a little tease before we get into our broader conversation is having that type of dude when you get in these very close games. Uh, all right, let's move uh, to the other team that uh, Jim just mentioned briefly, Tennessee against Ole Miss tonight. The Vols come away with a four-point victory. This was a pretty good game. It was the early game tonight, so I don't know how many people out there actually saw it. Uh, but, man, back and forth, thought it was a game that was up in the air pretty much the whole way. Down the stretch, Ole Miss certainly had their chances. Tennessee ends up separating. They got 22 points from Santiago Vescovi tonight. Uh, Matt, from your side, is this – a statement win. I mean, it's a road win for Tennessee. It's a game that if you want to win the SEC, I think you feel on paper you should have, right? Yeah, I mean, to win a championship, you have to win games like this. I mean, clearly they're the better team. They're the more talented team, and they went on the road and found a way to win. I, I don't think they played their best. I think they were, what, three for 15 from the three-point line, shot 20% from there. Vescovy was, was terrific. You know, he has 22, but to win a championship, you have to just find a way to win games like that. They're the better team. They're the more talented team. I don't know what the spread was going into the game. I'm sure they were favored by six or seven, whatever it may be. But find a way to win on the road, first conference game. And to do that now, now even versus a team that you you know you're better than, it may catapult you a little bit and create some mo- momentum going into these next conference games. But I, you know, you heard me say the term business as usual. I thought it was the same thing for them. They just found a way to win the game. And if you want to win an SEC championship, that's what you have to do, especially on the road. When you have no crowd behind you, I, I didn't see if Ole Miss had a good crowd. Sometimes when you go in these environments and the opposing crowd is packed house, it, it kind of makes you have that more laser focus. Um, but they found a way to win the game. And that's that's what you have to do if you want to win a championship. He says he's not a betting man. I mean, he knew exactly what the spread was. He didn't even have to look. He just knows. Listen, as when you're a coach, you're not allowed to bet. You're not allowed to bet. You're not allowed to bet, okay? I'm not a coach right now, so I guess I could. (laughs) Uh, But, no, I I, I just want to say I was so impressed with Tennessee's defense. I know it's the number one in the country per Ken Palm, but uh, Ole Miss had 32 points after 15 minutes. They had 27 the next 25. Like, that, they completely tightened the screws Ziegler was the, the the hound on the ball, just making every point guard for Ole Miss miserable, trying to bring the ball up. And they didn't even have Josiah Jordan James. He warmed up but didn't play. So that's kind of the thing. Like, there might be another gear to this Tennessee team once he's back in there and fully healthy and feeling good about his knee and all the other ailments he's dealing with. He's an all-conference caliber guy, and they're, they're winning and, and performing this highly without him. Yeah, the Vols, the Vols are up there in the elite as well. So – I might bite my tongue for even asking this question. And uh, if you two want to both tell me I'm ridiculous for going there this early in the season, feel free. But is there anything different about this Tennessee team that should give us more hope when we get to the NCAA tournament? Because they've had some great regular season teams the last few years. I have no doubt this team is going to be there from start to finish in the SEC championship race. What I care about is are they going to make that jump in the NCAA tournament? And Matt, you just said it. It can be fluky, right? Calling a team a Final Four contender. It comes down to one game. Variance happens. Anything can happen. But on paper, do we like this Tennessee team more than we liked previous versions of this team? I think, I obviously, I think they've had great teams in the past. I think this team is going to be right there. But again, like I said, it, it's going to come down to matchups. Like, think about the 2006 National Championship team at Florida. Okay, first round play South Alabama, second round play UW Milwaukee, 
who, if I remember correctly, upset Oklahoma. Third round beat a good Georgetown team. Uh, Elite Eight beat a very good Villanova team. National semifinal played George Mason, the Cinderella team that makes the run. National championship game played UCLA, who I think was a four seed. Maybe I, I don't remember exactly what their seed was. So, man, like you think about if, if we played three mid-major teams on the road to a national championship that we were clearly better than, it's going to come down to that. If you run into a team that you just don't match up well with, 2014, and I know I'm referencing Florida just because I was there for 11 years, 2014, we didn't match up well with UConn. Shabazz, Napier, Boatwright, we struggled keeping those guards in front of us. They were a nine seed. They beat. We were the number one team in the country, won whatever it was, 30 games in a row, and we struggled versus UConn. So, yes, I think Tennessee is a contender. Yes, I think Tennessee is a potential Final Four team. But at the end of the day, when you get into that tournament and it's a one-game deal, it's all coming down to matchups. And if you don't play your best on a given night, you're going to lose and you're going to go home. So to guarantee they're going to be in the Final Four, I think it's too difficult to do, but – there's no question they're they're in the conversation. I like Alabama's team more than I like them. Maybe just because I've watched Alabama a little bit more, and I just I'm so impressed with what they do and Miller and his and how he's playing this year as a freshman. Um, I love their style of play, how they play on offense. I, I, I'm I would pick Alabama ahead of Tennessee, but I don't think you can count them out. Okay, I like that. Uh, the final game on our SEC roundtable here. Florida and Auburn, another back and forth, one hotly contested game. Auburn ultimately separates wins by three at the end. Uh, if anybody out there has paid attention to any of my nonsense in the past few weeks, I've been very openly critical of Mr. Todd Golden. Uh, I have not loved what I have seen from his offense this season, particularly in the half court where it appears they don't have really any plan whatsoever. Maybe out of timeouts, they run some particular action, but for large stretches of this game, this team seems to freelance uh, tonight. I didn't watch a ton of this game. I'll be honest with you, but I've seen enough of this team this season to know that's likely what happened. Uh, all five starters, none of them found double digits offensively in this game. They went dry late. Auburn pulls away. Jim, Give me one reason why I should buy in that Todd Golden can figure this out this season. Because I thought tonight was a better effort and a bad matchup for them. Uh, I don't think they have a ton of shooting. I think they prefer to score inside and Auburn might be the best shot blocking team in the entire country with broom and Caldwell. Uh, they, they are or Cardwell, excuse me. They are really tough to score on inside and Florida was able to hang around, had the ball down one final possession and, and turned it over and, and gave up a layup to lose by three but they had a shot to win or, or a possession to win. And I thought that was better than I expected for a team that has, like you said, looked really out of sorts offensively. The defense is coming around. They've got some size on the wing inside that I think gives them a fighting chance. And we praise the SEC home environments. I think Auburn's up there with Ooh. the way Pearl's got them going. It, it is as tough a place to play as you can find. And they were right there. This one's going to hurt them because I, I think they're going to think, oh, we should have had that one. That's one of the games that got away for us. But it at least encouraged me that they hung around, they stayed close in a really tough place to play and, and had a shot to win late. Yeah, it's kind of getting to, I don't want to say must-win territory. It's so early in the season, but the record's seven and six now for the Gators. And we've gone through a lot of very good teams in the SEC. Uh, I'm not saying they had this one penciled on their calendar as a game they needed to win anytime you're on the road against a ranked team. 
you probably don't necessarily expect to win that game or you're not hurting that you lost it. But at a certain point, uh, the losses do start to rack up. Matt, from your side here, are are we just forgetting about Auburn? Because, I mean, they were, what, sixth on the list tonight? They were one of the hotly talked about teams all of last season. When you have Jabari Smith, that will happen. But it seems like a lot of people wrote this team off as soon as he departed, and they're hanging around there with only two losses on the air. I don't think you can ever write Bruce Pearl off. I think he's too good of a coach, uh, what he does every single night how hard, like if you watch him even during the game, I mean, he's coaching the game like he's, you know, a first year head coach just over there and how energetic he is on the sidelines. And, you know, I want to go back to Florida a little bit, not just because it's, it's my alma mater. And, uh, but I think they're still trying to find their identity, especially on the offensive end of the floor. And like, think about this, Myron Jones averaged 16 points per game at Penn state. He transfers, he plays for Mike White, he stays. And there's been games this year where he, I think he played eight minutes versus UConn, played seven minutes versus Oklahoma. You have Kyle Lofton from St. Bonaventure, who was one of the best guards in the Atlantic 10. And essentially his entire career at St. Bonaventure, he's playing with the same players. He's got Dom Welch, he's got Osun Suni. So there's a familiarity there for him. So this is completely new. So he looks a little bit out of sync. And then even go to the last possession on offense for Florida. They put Colin Castleton essentially in a pick and roll. They wanted to go to him because it's their best player. They get him the ball on the perimeter and they run kind of a slip action where Castleton is coming to his right, where he's essentially the ball handler in the pick and roll. And if you look at the play, Myron Jones and Kyle Lofton are both wide open behind him on the wing. Jones was in the corner, I think. Lofton was on the wing. And for a five-man to come off a ball screen handling and try to make that hook pass to his right hand, that's a difficult play for him to make. But I think for them, everything's very new. And you've got to understand they're trying to all figure it out. Castleton stays. He had opportunities, could have gone anywhere. And again, the whole Lofton thing, he's one of the best guards in the Atlantic 10. And I still think he had such familiarity around him his entire career at St. Bonaventure. He doesn't have that. And this is all new. And he looks at times just a little bit out of sorts. So, you know, I I think that's the biggest challenge for Florida right now. But don't ever, ever count out Bruce Pearl. He's too good of a coach. Yeah, we've all seen that any college basketball fan by now should not be surprised to see a Bruce Pearl team performing well as you get into conference play. All right, let's step back broadly. We got about 12 minutes left in the show. And uh, this has been a running joke of mine. Every time I've hosted this year, I promise we'll get to UConn at some point. We're running out of time, but we'll get to UConn at some point. Uh, Let's just step back though, because this conference is loaded. I mean, we just spent the bulk of the show talking game by game because there were a ton of them tonight, but we went into tonight with six ranked teams, Alabama, Auburn, Tennessee, Arkansas, Mississippi state, and Kentucky. We've got LSU and Missouri currently at the top of the SEC standings, 1-0, but at the top, unranked right now. Uh, You've got Florida down there at the bottom, who I think has all the talent in the world. This team could get a lot of teams in the NCAA tournament. My question would just be, do we buy any of these guys up at the top of the top when it comes to national contenders? And I think our, our perception, maybe collectively, of 
who the national contenders are has shifted a bit from the beginning of the season. Maybe there isn't an elite team that we're terrified of the way we thought preseason we might be of North Carolina. Do you buy anybody in this conference as someone who you think will stack up with the best of the best when we get to the NCAA tournament? And Jim, you, you kind of gave us your answer earlier with Alabama. Is there anybody beyond them that you would throw in that same group or is it just Bama? Bama and I think Tennessee can get there. I want to see Josiah Jordan James get in the mix with them. Uh, they're so deep and so physical, and I think their guard play is. You know, I know they had Kennedy Chandler last year, but their guard play is, I think, a little bit better, more secure. Vescovy is just such a savvy veteran, doesn't get rattled kind of guy. And the defense is elite, so I, I think Tennessee can get right up in that group uh, of of Final Four contenders, as we're calling them. But Alabama is the one that I feel best about of that group. Matt, what about you? I, I don't. I wouldn't count on Arkansas on the must bus. I, I think if they get hot in the tournament and they, you know, don't go four for 25 from three and all of a sudden they rope off 12 or 13, 14 makes in a game, if they can get healthy, if they can get Nick Smith back out there, I would not count out them. I think those are the three teams right now for me that I would say are in that category. Um, you know, I, I, I think, Obviously, the starts that Missouri and LSU have gotten off to, I, I just think their schedules, you, you know, you can't put them in the same category as those other three teams. But, yeah, Alabama, Tennessee, no question, and a healthy, hot Arkansas team has got to be right there, too. That's a great yeah. point on Arkansas. If Smith's out there, like, that team's terrifying. Terrifying. Yeah, I love that you mentioned them. I would just add to it, uh, I I think it might matter that they do get him back as soon as possible, if that's not, like, I just think it's going to be harder than they think to play the quote unquote load management, injury management game and work a guy in with a bunch of college kids when it comes tournament time. Like, I think they need to have a little bit of continuity, especially given the Brazil injury. Uh, the more that team can play together with Nick Smith, the more I would buy them come NCAA tournament, especially uh, given how talented they are. But I'm with you guys. Bama's at the top for me, Brandon Miller. I mean, and everything else they have too, but Brandon Miller, that separates you. There's a lot of teams I think are close to as talented as Alabama. They don't have Brandon Miller and that's going to matter for me. All right. About 10 minutes left in the show. That's more than enough time to get to UConn. I can't believe we're actually doing it, Rob. I deserve a raise for this. If you're watching, I can't even believe I said, if you're definitely watching this, waiting for us to talk UConn, Rob. So go ahead and add a couple hundred bucks onto my paycheck next week. Uh, Villanova, UConn, this was... A game that I think people expected UConn to cruise, at least Vegas expected them to cruise if you look at the pregame point spread. And this game was up in the air in the first half especially. UConn made a couple different runs and ultimately sustained those runs, held on to a lead late. Uh, And I don't know that I'd call it a comfortable win, but it also never really felt in question at this point. So uh, I guess let's just throw this up to all three of us. Is anybody willing to go out and say they think UConn is the best team in the country, given what we've seen so far? Matt is. It's the, it's them or Houston for me. They're, they're one, two in some order. Wow. No Purdue, Jim. You're not, you're not throwing it, Purdue in there. They're close, but I, I, I think in the in the postseason environment, I have a little, still a little bit of question about their guard play. Like I have them like top six, but okay, not okay. quite in that, in that top one discussion. Okay, okay. Yeah, I, I just like again, and I've said this on the field of sixty eight before. 
watching Coach Hurley on the sidelines with this team, he has a confidence and he knows how good they are. And he doesn't have to will them to victory by being, you know, over, I don't want to say dramatic is the right term, but he knows his team is, he's, he's almost, he's calmer on the sidelines when you watch him. I thought a huge play in the game, you know, everyone talks about Andre Jackson and just how much of a glue guy he is, that he's the guy that kind of keeps us all together. And a lot of what he does doesn't go in the stat sheet. And when the game's on the line, he drills a three in the corner. I thought that was a huge play. And that's, listen, the best teams in the country, talked about it before, you want to win a championship, they find ways to win. And I thought that three by him, listen, Sonogo didn't have his best game, right? And he had a finish down the stretch that was all world. He kind of caught it in traffic and had to go underneath a couple of guys and reverse it on the other side of the rim. And when the game's all on, you want to put the ball in your best players' hands and have them in, in areas to be successful. And that's what the, the, both those guys did. And again, Jackson, a guy that's not a quote-unquote three-point shooter, knocks it down with the game on the line. And it just shows you Coach Hurley has confidence in his kids. Those kids are playing that way. They didn't play their best tonight, but they're undefeated. And there's a huge target on their back. And everyone's going to play their best against them going forward. And it's all about just finding ways to win games. Some of them are going to be really pretty. Some of them aren't going to be pretty at all. And you got to find ways to win. And that's what they did tonight. Yeah, I mean, that, that team's awesome. I just what from the start of the year, watching them against mid-major teams and then going out to Portland, what they did, I've been so impressed with them. They, I, I joke, they like, they're the get off the bus team for me this year where they get off and I'm already scared because they're huge. They're physical, <laughs> they're dominant. Uh, and, and it's been, you know, really impressive to watch them so far. You mentioned one play that the Jackson three, one I loved was, you know, they were struggling to score. Villanova was hanging with that whole first half and uh, Jordan Hawkins, like caught up to a backdoor cut in the lane, poked it away, saved it came down and hit a three on the other end. It was kind of like the defense into offense. Vescovy did that for Tennessee today. Demoy Hodge did the same thing for Missouri. Like the poke away defensively, you go get the three on the other end. It just kind of changes the momentum. It gives, I think gives the shooter more confidence too. They just got so many weapons. UConn does. They're deep. They wear some, they wear teams down. Like Villanova was right there, like I said, for a half. And I think the physicality just kind of wore on them because UConn has so many bodies to throw at you. Like Calcaterra has been arguably their best guard sometimes this year. And he played seven minutes tonight. Like it, they've got just crazy options out there. And uh, yeah, I, I think one or two, I, I'm very comfortable with saying that with UConn. Yeah. It was their defense too. Right. I mean, they turned Villanova over 18 times. Villanova goes five for 22 from the three point line. Like that to me, they can win with their offense, but they can also win with their defense. And that to me is what makes them even more dangerous outside of just how talented they are in their personnel. Jim, how many points would Jay Wright have been worth tonight in this game? Eight, eight point finish. If Jay Wright's coaching that team, how much does that swing it? Not enough to win. I, I think, I think I actually think Neptune's game plan was awesome. He, he slowed the game down, forced UConn to shoot 33s to 20, 23 twos. Uh, they attacked some of, UConn's guards uh, put put like they're, they're more physical like Caleb Daniels and Cam Whitmore driving on the smaller guards for UConn I think that's why Calcaterra played so little the, the game plan was really good just I think UConn's defense and talent won out in the end yeah I'm uh, I'm officially ready to say it right now as of December 28 2022 
This is my number one team in the country. I've been avoiding it for so long, but you really want uh, that money on your paycheck, man. <laughs> I really want it. No, it's I, it's real though because I mean, you guys just hit on all the the biggest points of it. But like this team has dudes, as you mentioned. But the special thing about them is it. You can tell. You can see it through your screen. Like they're all so comfortable playing whatever given role they need to play that night, and that's special. Like a lot of teams that have dudes don't mesh that way. And there are some new faces that Hurley's been working in here, but like, I mean, talk about a guy like Donovan Klingon off the bench who comes in for 15 minutes a game. He knows that's what he's getting. And he's just an absolute monster in those 15 minutes. You know what you're going to get from Sonogo. You got the gunner in Hawkins. You got the setup guy in Newton. You got the glue guy. Do everything you need. All the dirty work in Jackson. Calcaterra comes off the bench ready to just shoot flames from his fingers. I'm all the way in on this team. And maybe, again, that might say more about the fact that I don't think there is an elite team right now because I wouldn't put this UConn team in years past looking at previous seasons. I don't think they would ever really sniff number one in the country. But this year, given what we've seen, I mean, this was their closest game results wise of the year. And it was still a game that I don't really feel was truly ever in question. First half, halftime, one point lead, maybe. But to me, it was clear they were the better team and it was just waiting for the moment they would start to pull away. So you have my attention, UConn. Congrats, Rob Doster. You're the the field of 68, December 28th, Wednesday night national champions. We'll see if that results in a banner. Uh, one other Big East result, only a couple minutes left here, but it's it's worth noting. Uh, Xavier, St. John's, they had the mic'd up element to this on FS1 for us tonight. And Matt, you told us pre-show, you've got a take on this. Are you are you pro or anti-mic'd up? I mean, I, to me, it's as a coach, it just gives you something else you have to think about, right? Like you can't say a bad word, you can't curse, you can't do anything like that. So in the back of your mind... You've got to focus on this microphone being on your shirt and not just going out there and being who you are and coaching your team. Um, I thought it was almost a little too much to have it the entire game. Like I kept thinking that it was just say, we're just going to do it every now and then, but then it just continued and it was the whole game. I give both coaches a lot of credit for doing it. I don't know if that was a league mandated thing because it really gave you a gauge into each guy into their timeouts. What's the message? What's the messaging to the team? How are they doing this? But <laughs> for me, I, that would just give me another thing. I, man, do not say a bad word. Do not yell at a ref. Don't do that because it's going to be completely caught on camera. Um, yeah, so I, I think that's a challenge. I think, And I thought both guys handled it well. I don't know if anybody told Sean Miller he wasn't supposed to curse. That was my <laughs> takeaway from the game. Field of 68's own Sean Miller. Uh, Jim, either on the mic'd up aspect or anything you saw in this game, uh, what was your takeaway from this one? Uh, just really impressed with Xavier's offense. Like it, I, I'm sure it's been said, I haven't watched every Field of 68 after dark, but uh, I think the lack of a point guard coming in was the concern, and Boom has totally settled them down there. Tonight they're going against a team that can pressure you as well as anybody in a raucous Carneseca arena and they kept their wits about them, got the ball inside to their, to their stars inside and took care of business. I mean, they were up like 10 pretty much the whole game and it got a little bit closer at the end, but it felt like Xavier's game the whole way. And that's, that's tough to do on the road. Yeah. Really, really impressive result from the Musketeers uh, who again, controlled that pretty much from start to finish. It did get close late, as you mentioned, but uh, ultimately a wire to wire road victory 
for Xavier, which some SEC teams, they can't say they got one of those tonight, my friends. Uh, this was an absolute blast, as it always is, here on the field of 68 After Dark. Again, you can listen to us on the SiriusXM app. You can watch us on the YouTube channel. Please subscribe so that you don't miss out on any future episodes of this as well. We will be back tomorrow night with our New Year's resolutions special. We picked 12 teams that maybe need a little fixing in a certain way, one way or the other. We gave them resolutions that will have them ready for 2023. Uh, for Matt McCall, for Jim Root, my name is Greg Waddell, and we will see you again tomorrow night on the Field of 60. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.